If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain, Sierra says, save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat up old running shoes, Sierra says, save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery, well then we say, you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now, go. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear, check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner, check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is the Olive Magazine podcast, a weekly roundup of food and drink chat brought to you by the team behind Olive Magazine. And this is episode 133. I'm Janine, Olive's food director and podcast host. Later on in the podcast, we've got an antidote to the cold and grey weather as Ellie and Rhiannon discuss what to eat and where to stay in sunny Kerala. But first, if you're cooking turkey next Tuesday, listen up as I talk to cookery writer Adam and share some top tips on turning out the perfect Christmas bird. Hi, it's Janine and Adam. Hi, Adam. Hi. And it's Christmas. It certainly is. Um, so what we thought we'd do is get together and talk about our best turkey best practice, like a 101 on turkey, what to look for, how to cook it, how to rest it, how to carve it, what to do afterwards. So if anyone's out there and they've got any doubts about cooking turkey for the first time or what the best things to do, then just have a little listen to this and yeah. hopefully we will cover all of your needs. Yeah, hopefully. Um, so, right, let's start with... Um, like Adam said this to me today because this is going to go out on Friday the 21st. Mm-hmm. He reckons there'll be people out there who wouldn't have got their turkey by then. There'll still be I people mean, not who ordered. Have, not ordered yeah. and will be Running swinging around. into uh, any most of the supermarkets <laughs> in whatever town they live to get a turkey. But yeah, we thought we'd start with, like, what turkey do you want to buy? Yeah. I think the, the easiest way to look at it is, like, who are you cooking for? Yeah. So there's really two types of turkey. There's like the, they're called the big breasted whites, yeah. which um, basically named. Yeah, aptly named. So, and they are basically any of the turkeys with a white in their name. So they've yeah. actually made it pretty easy for everyone. So any turkey with a sort of, the breed will have a white in its name, yeah. which means that it has far more white meat to dark meat yeah. as a ratio. Yeah. And then the other side is more the bronzes and the blacks. The blacks. Um, and they will have more uh, leg meat as a ratio. Mm. And they might well have been hung for longer as so well. Be a bit gamey. So a bit of gamey, a bit more of an adult flavour. Yeah. So if you're cooking for loads of kids or loads of people who like breast meat, you want one of the white birds. Yeah. Or if, if it's loads of people who like get more of the gamey flavour, you yeah. go for the bronzes or the blacks. Definitely. Yeah. Cool. And there might also be a little bit of a price difference in those. You can obviously spend a lot of money on turkey, but... Um, you can spend a fortune on you turkey. You can, yeah. Um, I noticed that the supermarkets this year are all doing pretty good deals on um, on turkeys and actually really high welfare turkeys as well. So it's worth just going and having a little look around if you are last minute panic turkey buying yeah, yeah. um don't be doing what my mom had to do one year though which was defrost the turkey in a bath on no. christmas morning 
let's not do that. No. I, and that's another part of my best practice. Well, we'll get when we get into cooking, we'll talk about that. Yeah. But like, is making sure that your bird is defrosted. And size wise, I was just looking. So the, the guidelines are so four to six people, you're looking at three to four kilos, mm-hmm. 12 sorry 10 to 12 people six to seven kilos and 15 plus about nine kilos and the mm-hmm. reason that they, those sound like quite high figures is because obviously you've got boxing day leftovers yeah a turkey is not just for christmas day like everyone wants to have that amazing turkey, turkey sandwich, sandwich. Yeah. it's got to be on the buffet table on the sunday <laughs> turkey and buffet, turkey curry yeah. and you know all the way through yeah. it probably into the new year yeah. if you've which makes really it actually one. quite a good budget buy that's in the, the end that's the thing it may look really expensive when you buy it but if you look at how many potential people you're feeding yeah and meals you get out of. Yeah, yeah yeah all right so then let's talk about the prep because you've done this thing this month in our christmas issue haven't adam haven't you mm-hmm. about like all about the prepping before it goes in the oven so what sort of things are we looking at um so i think first talk about like brining so it's quite would, scary brining it, it, it is because i think when people see that amount of salt they think oh it's going to be really salty yeah. or um but i think like traditionally people have wet brined there so you can buy like right. massive tubs to put like well wet brining is where you dissolve the salt in water with aromatics with things, and then yeah. fully submerge the um bird in that yeah um but you need a lot of space for that and because yeah. then you would need to chill it as well for like 24 hours you're gonna before, need like so. a sh- i mean you haven't got a walk-in fridge and let's face it none no of no, no one you're gonna need a shed or a, yeah, or or a garage, garage yeah, yeah or a cellar or but so um, i advocate dry brining yeah which is where you basically like you can rub loads of aromats so you can put like loads of thyme black pepper nice. into the salt and then basically just give it a really good covering in salt yeah um and what this does is like help the 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 seasoning like the salt the penetrate the skin oh yeah so through osmosis and all that kind of technical stuff it like draws water out of the skin like the surface of the yeah. skin which one helps you get like a crispier oh uh, yeah the crispy skin, skin. Yeah. like really crispy skin and it also helps salt go into the fibers of the chicken giving you like really nicely seasoned nice. meat and also all the aromats that are in there going as well so yeah and also that in in that case you'll only have to wrestle with your turkey not with a but i Someone was telling me that um, one of the supermarkets did a, like a brining kit where you got a massive bag um, to put the turkey in and then you filled it up with water, but you managed to slip and drop wow. the bag, the turkey, the frying <laughs> on the floor. Um, Must you have know, been like comical to watch. I like, think it was probably like, like huge a, water, like salt water explosion <laughs> yeah, in, your, exactly. in your kitchen. Um, so I think the nice thing about that dry brining is... Um, is that you can control it a little bit more. And then mm-hmm. obviously the turkey can't either go into the fridge or your cold place. Yeah. Wherever that may and, it, and it really, it will make your turkey more delicious. Yeah. Like it, it's like adding salt before you cook it, but it's just that salt will per- really permeate yeah. into the flesh of turkey and give you really delicious meat. And are we also talking about sticking before it goes in the oven, like putting butter under the breast yeah well. i think so how much butter is too much butter um packet I, I would like i would say to like 250 gram yeah like you know just a pack it's a nice size yeah yeah it? i mean Manageable. like you don't want to what's the point of having leftover well like you know that sort of leftovers at christmas you just <laughs> may as well get it all under there um and yeah because the breast has like literally on a turkey has like almost no fat across yeah. it it would just help it stay moist as it cooks and baste it in that sort of yeah. melting butter yeah. um and just keep it um juicy once you've brined the turkey, mm-hmm. are you, do you have to rinse it the next day? Because that, that would make people quite nervous with all of the, like, not washing poultry, water, cross-contamination stuff. No, no. no. Okay. Just, just you, basically, it's it's like, 
how heavily you would season it before it went in the oven. You're just okay. putting it on early. It's not like it's not like a salt crust or anything. It's not really, really thick. It's just a really generous, and it will look generous. Yeah. But like it, for that size of turkey, and if you think about all that meat, um, yeah. it actually isn't like that much salt. And then it cooks off as well, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, and then you can just put it straight in the oven and so you to rinse it. Or and anything. how long are we... In between that, you want to get it up to room temperature. Don't Definitely. You? Because I think you say that's one of the most important things is for even cooking. Mm-hmm. You don't want the middle of it to be so cold because some fridges are freezing. Yeah, yeah. So. They'll be like two, three degrees, which will yeah. be really, really cold. And that, as you cook it, the outside of the breast will get to a high temperature before yeah. the, that, that temperature has a chance to go all the way through to yeah. the middle of the turkey, meaning like dry on the outside, maybe. Yeah undercooked in the middle or you know yeah and you'll have to keep putting it back in to keep it cooking because it won't be yeah. so, so if you start it off we say like it, I, I guess it's like an hour to an hour and a half even maybe a little bit longer to take yeah it out. i mean like i wouldn't i wouldn't take it out too much after an hour and a half just yeah. an hour and a half just well, leave it out it, on the side and yeah. also like keep it covered just yeah. you know for, like you know just to keep it safe cool. and everything and then what's your go-to method for cooking? I, I'm a big fan of the, like, the tent. Yeah, the tent I, I definitely tent. Yeah. Um, I think it just, it, it, the, an oven's heat is very dry. Yeah. Because as if it's particularly this fan, it just drives away all the moisture. Yeah. And if you, like, seal the whole roasting tin that the turkey's in in tinfoil, yeah. all those juices just go up and it sort of traps it all and, you, and it's almost like steaming yeah. the turkey. Um. And obviously the temperature can't go over a certain like temperature. Yeah. So it's I think it's just makes the meat much juicier. Yeah. So in practical terms, I mean, when you get your when you get your turkey, like check check your cupboard if you're going to your parents or your grandma's house, check what they've got as well. There's been yeah. many a time I've had to run out on a on a Christmas Eve and get a roasting tin that will fit the bird. It fit into. the bird in the oven. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And also before you put the oven on, like see where the turkey's going to get into the oven as well, yeah. because so you're not like it, juggling so you're not hot, hot, ra- hot yeah, racks and everything exactly. like that. Yeah. Um, and then, as you said, I, I normally would sit the turkey on some kind of. I, I wouldn't trivet it because obviously it's big enough already. But I often just sit it on big slices of onion, onion, yeah, just to yeah. keep it off the bottom. Mm-hmm. Not because that would it just diffuses the heat a little bit mm-hmm. more, so it's not hitting the direct hot. Yeah, yeah. Heat of the and thing. also just more flavour, just delicious. Yeah. And do you put a little bit of stock in the bottom of the, um, the tent as well? Yeah, or wine, or just yeah, yeah. whatever. Yeah. Fancy. Well, no, there's always a bowl of wine open in my house at some point. But <laughs> over, over Christmas. Christmas over, yeah, yeah, on Christmas. Certainly on Christmas Day. Um, and then the way that we would normally do it is we, we would do 30 minutes on high. So that would be like 30 minutes at gas mark 7, 220. Mm-hmm. Or, <clears throat> and then turn it down to gas 6, which is um, 200. And oh, you cook it for 30 minutes per kilo after mm-hmm. the initial 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. And that should give you perfectly cooked turkey. Yeah not overcooked um what about checking it when it comes out for people who are like slightly panicky about whether it's cooked on the day um well i I mean for people who are panicky about it i'd say invest in a digital thermometer because then i know it's like it might seem like an an added expense but if you are worried and you you can never tell i mean Mm. the the old trick is to you know, put a skewer in into the, thick the thickest part. In the thickest part of the thigh, yeah, and then push against it and look at the juices that are coming yeah. out, whether they're clear or they have like a they're mm. like pink or and if it's pink, they need to go. It needs to go back in, or if they're clear, it's cooked. Um, but I think, yeah, a digital thermometer, and then you're looking for like 70, 71. Yeah. And you can also do that little bit. Of, you can you can wriggle the leg. If you can sort of start to pull that leg away from the... the t- yeah, it's, yeah. Cooked. it's cooked. It's basically yeah, yeah. cooked, you know. Don't yeah. worry about it. Yeah. It's like it's done. Cool, okay. Um, resting, which is my big thing, because I think that 
people get really panicky about it being hot and it's ridiculous because if you're if you're sawn into a turkey and it's piping hot it hasn't it's rested right, yeah. and it's going to be tight and it's going to be like the juices wouldn't have because what happens during resting is all of those juices get to redistribute themselves evenly around the bird mm-hmm. so when you do eventually get to carve it um you've got this lovely succulent meat and it's even temperature all the yeah. way through um i would say the way I do it is I, I work out sort of about two hours before we want to eat, sit down and eat. I'll, I'll, I'll reckon to get the turkey out, finished and out of the oven then. Yeah. Then that frees up your oven for your roasties because you do, you're in so, much, so many roasties. Like literally, if there's as many people coming to yours as, as, as to ours, I think it's about 15, you're going to have two massive trays of roasties. Oh, and they're, yeah. they're going to take at least an hour and they'll probably take more. More if, if there's got a lot too many because obviously it, yeah. it is... If there's overcrowding in the tray, they're going to take a bit longer to and there's brown. there's stuff in to do. And, you know, like if you're like my family, or... you do Yorkshires because they're mad. Yeah, then you want to get them in as well. Yeah. So I would say reckoning on getting your turkey out two hours before eating time. And then that gives you at least an hour to an hour and a half, some foil, a couple of tea towels, leave it in the corner of the kitchen. Don't think about it. Don't worry about it. Um, and then it also gives you time to carve it because carving takes a while, doesn't it? it, it Don't does. be like rushing that at the last minute. No, I think that's that, that's one of the things that holds people up. I think is, yeah. you know everyone sat down at the table, all the side, yeah. like, all the potatoes are out in bowls, and everybody you're like, oh, like yeah. desperately trying to carve the freezing, yeah, basically you're minute by minute, by burning the ends of your fingers yeah. on that over, <laughs> like, over hot turkey. And everyone's turkey. looking at you, thinking how inconfident, but it's not. It's yeah, just because yeah. you've been forced to rush. Yeah. Basically, what's your what's your like carving? Um, tips for um exactly how i would carve a chicken okay so um basically the, like as you said about the legs should be like easily easy Wiggable. to so basically yeah. it might take a couple of people but if you turn the turkey up on its side and then just wiggle the leg so the thigh joint pops out, pops out yeah. cut around it then cut between the thigh and drumstick yeah and then you can like take some of the meat off if you want or just give people the like the actually you probably bits, have to yeah, with a, yeah. a, thigh, a, a turkey thigh is quite big you probably have to <laughs> you take probably some you might have to like <laughs> slice yeah, that carve, carve that yeah and then same on again on the other side and then um take both breasts off so just yeah. follow the backbone on either side gently cutting down until you completely free it take the wings off and then you can just like slice the breasts so with the breast we're talking about taking the whole breast off yeah the so whole you literally breast. want to follow the line of the carcass mm-hmm take that whole breast off and then you can just slice down into yeah. it. It's like, I think when you... You just see pictures all the time, don't you? Of like the, the turkey breast with two little slices yeah. off it. It's sort of like an at 45 degree angle. It's just the wrong way to cut it it's anyway. It's the wrong way to cut it. And I think you waste or you leave a lot of meat yeah. on the... Which might be good for your leftovers, yeah. but not good for Christmas Day. No. Yeah. And, and actually, once you've done that, you can have that all on a platter, cover it in foil. Again, just leave that. That'll be nice and warm. Just make sure that gravy is yep, boiling uh, hot. Yeah, I think we, that's another thing. We, if your gravy's gravy, boiling hot... It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And your turkey's nicely, thinly sliced. As soon as you put that gravy on, it's going to reheat everything up, bring it back to life, and that's going to be the perfect turkey. But, but like you say, I mean, you could take the legs off, take the breasts off, and then re- continue resting it if yeah. you wanted, while you've got other thits, bits ready, and then yeah, just yeah, carve yeah. that and then just up, carve then just it it's almost like a yeah. second carving process. You just need to be organised, don't you? Yeah. And let's just talk about leftovers because my bugbear is going into the fridge and seeing that massive carcass just looking at you for three days. No. So I've just yeah, instigated yeah. a thing now where basically 
at the like once Christmas dinner's over and everyone's eaten and it's a bit of an annoying time because you do want to just be like relaxing afterwards Mm -hmm. I think that is the best time between then and the evening to just strip Strip that turkey down get all that meat off it Mm -hmm. put it into like bowls or you know food bags however you want to do it but don't don't chuck it all in together kind of portion Portion it it out yeah yeah and then you've got the option of you know if by the next day you think it's not going to be eaten, you can freeze that and mm-hmm. that will defrost brilliantly. Or it means you can go and grab a bag of turkey and you're not constantly in and pulling. Out of the fridge. Yeah. And it's like it's not very hygienic to constantly pull it in and out mm-hmm. as well. So mm-hmm. it's also your um your carcass, you can then um if you want to break it up and freeze that to make stock later. Because let's face it, I mean, even the best of us cooks are not going to be making stock on Christmas Day. <laughs> not on Christmas Day, no. <laughs> not, not, not on, on Boxing, Boxing Day, day. no. Maybe, yeah, yeah. maybe in the lull between Christmas yeah, yeah. and New Year. Yeah. But yeah, that's brilliant. I mean, and we also have um, tons of leftovers ideas, mm-hmm. not just in the Christmas issue, which, I, which is out right now, but also online as well. We've got a great leftovers collection. So yeah. if you want to go to that and find out some brilliant ideas for mm-hmm. that. But um, I think that's some great tips, Adam. Thanks very much yeah, for um, no giving No worries. Me. You're right. fresh one for me for Christmas yes. Day as well. And Merry Christmas. Yeah, Merry Christmas. Hi, so I'm Rhiannon, the travel editor, and today I'm here with Ellie talking about Kerala. Um, Our regular columnist, Lucy Gilmore, has written about her trip there in the Christmas issue, which is out in the shops now, but is also online at olivemagazine.com. But Ellie, you're just back from a visit to Kerala as well. Um, It's such a beautiful part of India, isn't it? Down in the southwest, very tropical, very lush beaches, backwaters, spice spice plantations. Yeah, absolutely. So I had never been to India before and everyone says that when you go, you step off the plane and you're hit with this, the heat and this, this certain and the noise smell and, the, smell. and the noise. And I, beforehand I was like, surely it can't, surely it can't be that different. And it is, it's this mixture. It sounds horrible. It's this musty scent almost, mm. but it is hypnotizing and you and you can't escape it and then when you come back you're kind of you kind of miss it you're like oh that's yeah. where's it gone <laughs> um but yeah so Kerala um in the southwest it's beautiful and it's not it's not as chaotic as it's actually quite tranquil um so all the villages are so vibrant even the we were there when it was just after monsoon season and the walls are kind of like dappled with orange and kind of bubblegum pink. And even though they've got black and mud splattered all over them, they still look beautiful. (laughs) Um, And the roads are very rickety and you get used to that. Um, And then obviously all the spice plantations. So you've got the cardamom, the cinnamon, the coffee, the cocoa. It's just, yeah, everything is there on your doorstep. Gorgeous. Yeah, Yeah, I remember I went years and years ago and went to the most amazing pepper plantation. And the smell of that pepper, and that pepper is amazing. Yeah, Yeah. sticks with you. It does, does. And, of course, that all feeds into the food, doesn't it? I mean, Mm. I remember that the big difference was with the Kerelan food compared to Indian food from the Mm. north is that they use so much coconut and everything. And also all these... um, And fish, of course, because it's coastal. but yeah. all these lovely fresh spices and things. Yeah, and so I um, I stayed in a few different places, but we went to Kochi, which is the capital city, um, and it's a port city, and it's um, although it's smaller than others, it's still very cosmopolitan. You've still got 
everything going on. Um, but we actually stayed in Fort Cochin, which is the older part of the town. And it's beautiful. It's very colonial, so the buildings... Um, it is it's quite different from other places that you'll stay in Kerala. Um, but food-wise, it's a really good way to ease yourself in because um yeah like like you said across other parts of india it's quite like ghee heavy and mm. so the food itself does feel quite rich whereas in kerala you can eat loads and it still feels quite light which yes. is great um so we actually when we were there we found a little tea house um selling chai so it was my mission to find proper chai and the the only time you really get it is like the roadside stalls that they sell it and it's already sweetened. Um, Do they still have it in those little clay pots? In the little clay pots, yeah. yeah. That you then throw away. Yeah, and, but, but then they smash and they're kind of recycled. And, and they, then it yeah. all goes back. Great. Yeah, <laughs> and so we actually did find this little tea house that sold um, chai fully sweetened and it almost <laughs> has like a... It like develops a layer on top of the sugar, which sounds horrible, but then you mix in, it's, it's very Moorish. And samosas, I remember having there. And the samosas are quite different because it's almost like a salt dough crust. It's, it's rather than a flaky pastry like you sometimes get here, it's very heavy mm. and it's filled with obviously a mixture of potatoes, spices, chickpeas. And that in itself can be a meal alone. I was going to say, that sounds quite filling. Yeah, so that, you can just have one samosa and you're, and you're set. Um, if you can re- restrain if, if yourself. You, yeah, I, I do just have one. But, um, but I think the thing that I loved most about Kochi were the spice markets. So we asked um, the place we were staying, we said we wanted to go and get some spices. And they said, oh, you should go to this wholesale market. And so you just... It's just in this old kind of derelict building and you can smell it from a long way away. Um, but there's just massive sacks filled with turmeric and cinnamon sticks and oh, you lovely. just go and fill up and then they just weigh it. And I mean, I think we must have bought 20 <laughs> cinnamon sticks for about 10p. It is, <laughs> it's crazy. Um, but yeah, that is, it's amazing to just stock up there. And then, of course, the dosas and sambar, which... I think everyone has to try the lentil. It's like this lentil stew, and then you dip the doses in. It all soaks up Lovely. the juices. But I think my favourite thing that I actually had um, for breakfast there, I think I believe they're called idliapam, and it's these rice noodle balls that are soaked in um, cardamom and sugar, and then they swim in this like coconut milk, and so it's this sweet kind of sweet sticky, but quite light at the same time mixture and yeah it sounds very comforting it's, almost it's, kind of nursery food yeah it yeah. is it's almost like a noodle rice pudding i think but yeah <laughs> very nice um and then from kochi you went to the backwaters um yeah. and do you i mean presumably you have lots of nice fish there yeah so we um we went to Aleppi and we um had a houseboat down the river and it was one of those things where i was kind of not expecting i mean this is very silly of me i wasn't expecting the food to be as amazing there because you're on a boat it's this tiny Mm. kitchen and yet that was where I probably had some of the best food so there's this team of three guys that were cooking and they um obviously they just catch the fish and then they cook it straight there and so we had a lot of um fish fry which is just whatever fish they catch they fry it in these spices but it goes so crunchy you get all the skin it's really crunchy um and a lot of okra fries and um one of the best breads that i think i had in india called i want to say puris puris Puris, yeah and they're so 
they are very rich and very indulgent, mm. but they're so it's it's like deep fried, and it puffs up, and then you can use it to soak up all the the curry juices. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that sounds very nice. Mm. Um, and the other place that I remember reading about that Lucy wrote about in her feature, and you also visited, was Philip Cutty's farm, a homestay, and a I think you. Or she said it was a 35-acre mm. farm on an island in the backwaters, which sounded really lovely, yeah, very so homely. Absolutely beautiful. So you, um, that is probably the, one of the most tranquil places because you have to take a little boat to get there. And it's run by a woman called Anu and her mother-in-law, who everyone affectionately calls Mummy. <laughs> and they, yeah, they have this amazing farm with, every type of crop and animal that you can imagine. So it is absolute farm to table because they just cook it's what right they there. have that day. So for breakfast, you'd have mango juice, which is, even though we weren't there in mango season, they're still the sweetest mangoes that I've ever tried. <laughs> and they were, they were going, no, these aren't that great. And I was like, no, they are. Um, and then banana jams for breakfast. Um, oh, they sound good. So good. It's, you kind of, it's weird to think of banana in a jam, but it, it's not too sweet, but it has that, it's naturally quite sticky. Mm, I can imagine it kind of like caramelised yeah, banana yeah, almost. That's yeah, that's absolutely. Um, crisp banana, fr- they love bananas, so banana fritters, and glasses of what they call lime soda, which is basically just very fiery ginger with lime and a bit of, um, spa- I think it's sparkling water, and it's so refreshing. You, even though it's probably full of sugar, you can happily drink <laughs> lots of glasses like that. Um, and, yeah, that some of the best food we had was also um, cooked by Mummy and Anu, and they do a... Um, what a lot of people go there for is their fish curry, which... I think it was Rick Stein who, when he did one of his India programs, he oh, went course, and stayed yes. there and now their fragrant fish, fish curry. And it's the same. They just catch what they can and cook it with coconut. And you have that with appam, which are these coconut-laced pancakes, um, which you can... Which are kind of more... Just fluff, quite fluffy than other breads you have. And again, you just use those to mop up the juices. Gorgeous. Um, but sadly, so when we were there, the they were predicting the flooding that was going to happen mm. and they were doing as much as they could but um, Philip Cutty's was directly affected by the awful floods that did hit Kerala. Um, so before, when we went, there were coconut, mango, fig trees, everything, cocoa, um, and a lot of that got damaged. But now they're actually replanting all those trees um, and I know that guests that are currently staying there are helping replant which is really lovely because yes. everyone's chipping into And also because it. it's a tropical climate, it should hopefully, those things yes. should grow quite yeah, quickly. Yeah, absolutely. And they did manage to save some of their coconut trees, so they've still got Good. that to rely on. Yes, I mean, we should mention the floods because um, we had quite a long discussion in the office about whether to go ahead with publishing Lucy's feature in the Christmas issue. The floods in Kerala, if people don't know, were extremely severe this year and lots of people died um of course they they're used to having monsoon rains but these were extreme um and we felt it's a fine line between encouraging people to visit an area after a natural disaster um and not because you obviously don't want to go too soon and get in the way of any relief work or worse be a drain on precious resources um 
And we would always advise checking the Foreign Office website to get the latest travel advice on the ground. Um, but once the initial re recovery process is underway and there's infrastructure back up, we felt it's important that people don't cancel plans to visit these places. There's often a drop-off in tourism, so people's incomes are, are reduced just at the point where they really need the money to repair and rebuild things. Um, so we decided to, to go ahead. The, the situation, I should say, in Kerala is much improved now. Mm. It, the recovery process has been amazingly quick. And from what I understand, the infrastructure is back up. So all's, all's getting well. Yeah. And I remember when we were actually staying at Philip Cuddy's farm and some other homestays, they were very worried because they were saying they mainly rely on tourism. So they were, they were thinking back then, this could the end of it because mm. this is how we make money but I think um I think if you do definitely go it's one of the most beautiful places I've been but you can often have a more insightful travel experience because you're helping them rebuild stuff you're going to be learning more from them and yes. you're going to be working with them in a way that you wouldn't get to do otherwise yes and yeah. get a real insight yeah absolutely. I think it's a really nice way to approach it thank yeah. you Helen. thank you so that was the Olive Magazine podcast. If you liked this episode, please head over to iTunes and leave a review. We'd really love to hear from you. If you'd like to find out more information on things in this episode, you can visit our website, olivemagazine.com. You can still pick up a copy of our bumper Christmas issue on the newsstand now, or you can go and download the app version. We're taking a little break over the Christmas period, but we'll be back on 11th of January with a brand new podcast. So see you then and Merry Christmas.